you have your scriptures with you this morning, I invite you to take them and turn back to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. First, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. We're in the fourth chapter. We're going to begin in the 25th verse. Uh, let's, as just a bit of a review, let's go clear back to 17. And uh, we'll just read through the end of the Bible. No, let's, just through the end of the fourth uh, section there in the fourth chapter. Beginning in verse 17, Ephesians chapter 4. I love this passage um, as we've been working through it and we're working on the, the new man's actions and uh, how we're supposed to act as a new creature in Christ. Now this I say, verse 17, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. Do the, and this is because of the hardness of their heart. Um, they've become callous, great word, right? And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. Now, this is not the way that you learn Christ. Uh, well, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away this falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, or members of one another, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor in doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for these words from the Apostle this morning through the Spirit. Um, Father, these words we've been some time in now um, so necessary as we look at the work of the new man and how you changed us to understand that these actions aren't here just uh, as a coincidence or as a recommendation for our life, but as a way of life, as a way we walk in the new life, as even evidence of us being taught in Christ and having the truth that's in him in us. He dwelleth there. We can no longer live as the old man, but must live as the new. Help us to, uh, as we Again, this week, focus on this passage. Uh, help us to put these words into action in our lives. Help us to be the people that you've called us to be, to be the church, the bride of Christ. Uh, purify our hearts. That's what Holy Scripture does. It, it transforms our minds. Our hearts were once calloused and hard, and we went after everything that was not good. And now, through Christ, 
They've been regenerated, made new, so that we can live anew. Thank you, Father, for your grace that you give us. Strengthen me, be in my words this morning. Go above and beyond my abilities and work in the hearts of your people. The glorious truth you have for them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. It's the word of the Lord. So we worked through uh, lying last week, didn't we? And I had somebody this week tell me that they were going to tell a little white lie. I won't tell you who she was. I, right? Uh, <laughs> so I know that she was listening to the sermon because it was a big difference what she was doing and what the scripture was talking about here this morning. And I think this morning is even going to be more instrumental. These, um, these are not suggestions that Paul's giving for the actions of the new man. These are actions that we will perform as new men and women in Christ. So he does them, and he does them in a particular order. He begins with telling the truth because that is so important. In fact, we are people of the truth because we serve a God who is true, who is the one is true. Uh, we live and, and serve and breathe and call ourselves the church, and that is the pillar and the ground of truth. So for us to be false is just an absolute impossibility. It has to begin there. But then he takes on one that I think is probably uh, for, for our congregation and, and our time. Um, you know, I, I, I believe you guys in your hearts want to be what's true. Uh, but this one is so parallel to it, and I'm one that I think most Christians can easily misunderstand. It's the one about being angry, right? Read it there with me again, verse 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. And so we have to kind of define, because he's been going through this, and he's saying that these things will change us. Uh, as Christ comes in and our hearts are regenerated, we're to be a new people. And you go back and you look at the old people, uh, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. I'm in verse 18, uh, because of the ignorance that's in them. And ignorance is nothing than believing a lie, right? That's just not knowing. Not knowing what? Not knowing the truth. That's the ignorance that's in them due to the, they had hard hearts and they've become callous. And the Bible says that we can have, we can have um, uh, consciences in 1 Timothy chapter 4, I believe it's verse 2. We'll go there in a minute. We can have consciences that are seared. And our conscience is that truth detector that's that God said, yeah, we're going to make man, decree him out of the dust of the ground, and I'm going to make woman, I'm going to pull her out of the side of man, and he gave us both a conscience, and it's his law on our hearts and in our minds, and when we do something wrong, it stings. Hey, I just lied. i got to tell another lie and another lie. I just told that person. You know, we know when we do something wrong. That's why we, we got that truth detector. But that thing can become seared. It can become dulled like a bad knife you try to cut through something and you'll cut yourself it'll cause you pain because your conscience is dulled and if there's one thing that can describe the church today is that our consciences are dull beloved it'll be a hard truth but if I truly explain to you the evil gross horrific crime that takes place against God when a baby is dismembered in the womb? I don't do that to glorify the evil that's taking place. I want to do that to wake you from your slumber.
They're teaching evil in our schools. They're carrying away children to sexual promiscuity that, and transgenderism and these surgeries that are taking place. Man, this is, if you're not on social media, you probably are not seeing this, but it is constant. Girls standing there with double mastectomy scars, proud because they had their, had them removed. It's pure evil and we're asleep or we would be standing in the street screaming at the top of our lungs below. So this passage says, be angry. Let's define what that is because this is something that's at the throttle of my heart and throttle of my heart for the church. It's really, it's at the throttle of my heart for why I want to school. I want to teach kids. I, I had the pleasure this week uh, the fourth and fifth grade class had some questions. They were reading Genesis 2, and one of the fourth graders asked me, the teacher asked me back into the room, and I came back, and she said, well, Bentley has got a question that I can't answer. And Bentley looked at me, and he proceeded to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, where it says that God separated the waters from the waters. And just a few verses later, it says God separated the waters from the dry land. He said, how's that work? I don't understand that. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, that is a question that is so complex. How am I going to put it in fourth grade language? And then when I, I stood there for 10 or 15 minutes answering all the children's questions, and I come back to my office and I sit down, I said, oh my goodness, do you understand that kids don't even get the right to read the scriptures in the public schools? I'll answer all the questions they have. And one of the other kids in that class, one of the fifth graders on the way out, she said, Pastor Tim, can we have those Bibles at the end of the year when we're down to school? <laughs> I want to buy them so many Bibles. Be ye angry is an admonition to Christians. We have to, we have to define this this morning, and it's, it's not hard. I mean, this is why I spend time in language study, because the form of the verb is not unmistakable, it's an imperative. That means in scriptural speak, uh, in the Greek, it's a command from God through Paul. Be ye angry. <laughs> a lot of Christians have trouble with this. You know, a lot of people would say that this passage, and in fact, some of the translations pull this backwards. If you've got an NIV this morning or a, or a um, NLT Bible this morning, you're going to say, is saying, don't be angry so you won't sin. That's, in your anger, do not sin. That's the NIV. But that doesn't get the structure of what Paul's saying. A lot of people think that if you ever get angry as a Christian, you should bottle it down and try to push it back because you're going to sin if you do. That's not what this passage is saying. We have to know exactly what this passage is saying, and in the next, I don't know, four hours, I think we'll get there. Stick with me on this. No, it won't take very long at all because the, the, the literature here is so simplistic and the, the verb structure is so uh, obvious that there's no uh, mistaking what this passage is saying. In fact, that's how Greek works. It's precision and uh, it's so precise that you have to purposefully read it, uh, translate it the wrong way in the wrong verb forms because this verb form is an imperative active it is continual, and it is an imperative. That means it is a command. Be ye angry, 
and do not sin in your anger. So what it's telling us, beloved church, is that there's a type of anger that we can express as Christians and still not sin, but there is a method to that that where the Satan would love to get in and get us is that we're angry to the point that we do sin. And you hear this adage all the time, love the sinner and hate the sin. That's at the heart, I believe, of this verse and the understanding of this verse because we never want to hate the sinner and hate the sin. We want to love the sinner yet hate the sin. And why do we hate the sin? Because God hates the sin. As we begin to look at this and see that it's a positive command, we can be open to what the Bible says about it. So as we do, let's go to Mark chapter, oh, I think it's Mark chapter 3, verse 15. And I may get some of these wrong because I'm kind of just doing this by heart this morning. So bear with me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chapter 3 of Mark. No, it's, it's verse 5, chapter 3 of Mark. I'm sorry. That's my dyslexia. I'll turn some of these around. Our Lord Jesus had anger. He had righteous indignation at the hearts of the people that he dealt with. You see that there? He was dealing with the Pharisees. If we go back to the top of the chapter again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And that's all it was. They wanted to trip Jesus up. They wanted to get something to say that he was not following the law. They had such a legalism in their hearts that they could not be rejoiceful that Jesus was going to heal this man's withered hand right there in the temple on the Sabbath. So he did it. He healed the man on the Sabbath in the temple. Verse 3, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to him, verse 4, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill it? These Pharisees were silent because they knew where they were trapped. And in verse 5, it tells us how Jesus reacted to this. And he looked around them and with anger grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched out his hand and it was restored. Our Lord Jesus Christ expressed anger. Turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verse 15. Same thing here. The Lord was going to heal this woman with a disabling spirit. Verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there's six days in which you should work. Why don't you come on one of those days to be healed and not on the Sabbath day? Totally missing. Totally missing it, weren't they? The legalism in their heart. Then the Lord answered, you hypocrites, do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and donkey from the manger and lead it away to the water. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who had Satan had bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Jesus called them hypocrites. His anger, his indignation, his ire was rised. And we see that again in John chapter 2, probably the most familiar passage in all of Scripture about Jesus' righteous indignation. John chapter 2, verse 15 
Jesus, uh, go back to verse 13, Jesus goes into the temple there and it was the Passover of the Jews that was at hand and he went up to Jerusalem and in the temple and he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and he made a little whip of cords and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of trade. So we have good leadership here that our Lord Jesus Christ showed righteous indignation and righteous anger at things that should make us angry, beloved. That the very things that should make us angry and the difference here is the things that should make us angry are the things of sin. God's wrath is shown in the, all of the Old Testament speaks of it, but probably the most famous place in the New Testament is Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous the men who by their righteousness suppress the truth. The literal anger of God will, is, is right now being shown in our culture today against the sin that is taking place by the consequences that people are living in their sin. God's wrath is being displayed and people can't see it because they're too busy uh, with their own lives, they're too busy building their own ridges, they're too busy minding their own business, they're too busy thinking they're being winsome Christians by not pointing out the hypocrisy that our Lord continued to pointing out in righteous indignant, and in righteous anger and because of that, our hearts are dulled and hard. Our hearts, as we live today, beloved, do you know how many children will die in abortion in the state of New Jersey in 2023? I don't know if you even have a guess. 50,000 children. 135 a day approximately if you do that math. Church, arise. This passage is not only saying, be ye angry, but it is saying that you can be angry at what God gets angry with, and it's not a sin. But if that is true, the corollary of that is also true that if you do not show righteous indignation at what God is angry at, that too is a sin for you. I don't know another better way to put it. We can't sit on our hands, beloved. We are the pillar and ground of truth. It's in the righteous indignation of Christ that you and I see the awful legalism of those Pharisees, is it not? It's in the righteous indignation of God and his wrath throughout the Old Testament and the coming wrath that it talks about in Revelation. We are warned, our hearts are pierced straight through that God is holy and that he will bring a judgment on the people. And beloved, it is by our righteous anger, the church's righteous anger, 
that the world is called to something different. That the world is judged before us. That the world says, yes, these things are wrong. Whether we stand at a Planned Parenthood or at a city council meeting or at a school board meeting or at a group of our peers at work, be ready to understand that your righteous anger will make a difference. It will change hearts. In fact, it's a sin not to do it. Let's look at a few passages that lead us there. Let's look at the nation of Judah. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1. And I don't have time to go to the depth I want to this morning. but Jeremiah chapter 1. And it's okay if you can't keep up with me. I've got these pre-written in my notes. This section of it anyway. Jeremiah the prophet warns the nation of Judah about the sins which brought about the righteous wrath and judgment of God on that nation. Judah was a nation that had turned away from God. Lawlessness abounded. Jeremiah prophesied to the nation of Judah and Israel. The word of the Lord came to me saying, and you find this in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. That's where we'll begin. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth. Your love is a bride. You followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt and disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. All who ate of, of, of Judah and Jerusalem and Israel incurred guilt because they understood that these were God's people, that they had to follow God's laws. And if they did not do that, God protected them. And disaster, it says there in verse 3, came upon them. Today, pastors must become the heralds like Jeremiah who proclaim, thus says the Lord. And not only the pastors must do this because too many churches water this down. Oh, no, you've got to be winsome. You can only love. You've got to be so loving. Let them tread on you. You don't want to aggravate them. You don't want to make them mad. Please just don't make the lost people mad by telling them that they're going to go to hell because of their sins. How do you handle those two things? You've got to tell the truth in love. You've got to be angry and hate the sin that God hates, but yet love the sinner like God loves the sinner. God protected Judah and blessed Israel when they were established and obedient, which meant that all who came against her came against God himself. Our nation used to be a lot like that. I'm not saying as a whole that we want to go back to what was before, but we do want to go back to God and his word and his truth, and we do want to have anger against the unrighteousness that we see all around us. God protected Judah. He will protect us. He will protect his church. He will protect you as you stand for his truth. But something desperate had taken place. Jeremiah spoke again in 2.4. He says, Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? Oh, what a judgment. They went after worthlessness. You know, if I translate that in today, worthlessness is a lot of the pursuits. You know, beloved, the, the worthlessness of abortion, the worthlessness and the falsehood of 
of transgenderism, of homosexuality, of promiscuity. Uh, the, the kids today call it having a high body count, sleeping with a bunch of women. Harvard study after Harvard study says that if you do that, that you won't be able to connect one day with your wife because our, chem our brain is made to release chemicals whenever the sexual act takes place between two people who are supposed to be married to break a bond and a connection between those two people that can't be like any other bond or connection. That's why it's called adultery. That's why it's a sin when they do it. But yet our children are preached the evilness of sleep with as many as you'd like. And that should raise our indignation and our ire. But it largely goes unnoticed. They do worthless things and they become worthless themselves. Notice that going after worthlessness, worthlessness, they became worthless. What had they done? They had committed such abominations and performed such unrighteous things that God was just in all his actions against them. See there in verse 8, it began with the shepherds of God. It begins even today, the Judgment begins at the household of the Lord and the pastors will first be held accountable and then the churches. It begins with the shepherds there, people who transgressed against God and his law by teaching and prophesying against false gods, Baal. This is the teaching, what a false god teaches, preaching and teaching literal evil because all false gods are of the father of lies and he has nothing but evil to be taught and murdered. There were none, it says in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. There were none who performed what was just. God wanted to save the nation, but there were none who performed or spoke to what is just. They all, it says there in verses 1 and 2, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, look and take note, search her squares to see if you can just find one man who does justice and seeks truth that I may pardon this nation. Though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. Fortunately, we still have men today that will stand for the truth, whose hearts will be filled with righteous indignation and stand. O Lord, do not, verse 3, O Lord, in chapter 5, do not your eyes look for truth. You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refuse to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. Does it sound like the passage that we read earlier in, in Ephesians chapter 4? They'd gone after that which is wrong, and their hearts were hardened and calloused. Because of their worship of false gods and evil, their children had forsaken the Lord, 5 7, and worshiped false gods. They committed adultery galore and trooped to the houses of whores, Scripture says. Boy, those are pointed words, aren't they? They were well-fed, lusty stallions, each name for their neighbor's wife. Adultery was rampant. And God said, verse 9, Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? Beloved, if you do not or cannot see the parallel between the sins of the nation of Judah and the nation in which we live today, you're blinded by your apathy. And if your anger and moral indignation at the abomination of the sins of the people of this nation is not stirred, you become calloused and hardened, like it says in Ephesians 4, by sin yourself. And I say to you, wake up. Wake up, church. We're in straightaway in danger. The white-hot wrath of God is at this moment being kindled against this nation in which we live. For the exact reason it was on the day against the nation of Judah, sin has run rampant. It began at the church. It began with the 
those who were supposed to prophesy the laws and the truth and its loosings or moorings. They had walked away from that and they began to prophesy by Baal. The sure foundation of the law of God was pulled out from under them and it flowed out into a coarse and perverse culture where sin had run rampant and evil was taught openly and wantonly and few are angry at that. Few are righteously indignant at the justice being injustices being committed against the one true God. And here's the culmination of that. Turn with me to chapter 8 of the book of Jeremiah, if you will. It begins in verse 8. And here's where I believe we are as a nation today, beloved, as a church today, as we read 8 down through verse 12. Chapter 8, verse 8 down through 12. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men shall put, be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? <laughs> They've turned to their own wisdom. And it's like our government. Verse 10, therefore I will give their wives to others and their fields to conquerors. Because from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, Everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, where there is no peace. Verse 12 is the culmination of this. This is where I want you to hear this morning. Were they ashamed at this? You see it there? You see the words? Were they ashamed when they committed these abominations? No. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they shall be overthrown. Beloved, if there's one thing that struck my heart this week as I was preparing this and listening to different passages regarding this, it was that we have forgotten as a nation how to blush. Oh my goodness. We have forgotten as a people how to be ashamed and to blush. And we have forgotten as a people of God to be righteously indignant at the wrongs that come. It's not a sin to be angry. In fact, it's a sin not to be angry and roused by the things that God is angry at. We must be angry with the things that God is angry at. Listen to the clear witness of these scriptures. Psalms 101.3 I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Amos 5.15, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Romans 12.9, love, love be genuine. In fact, this is the mark of genuine love, that it abhors what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Do we abhor what is evil in our nation today as a church? Do we do that? Psalms 34, turn away from evil and do that which is good. Seek peace and pursue it. Psalms 36, 4, he plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Psalms 37, 27, turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. If you fear God, you must hate evil. 
with a righteous indignation. But be careful, beloved, when you do that. And do not sin, Paul says. You know the difference? I've got just a few moments to make the rest of this work. But he says, with all capacity of the Holy Spirit, and as a command from the Lord Jesus Christ, be angry, and yet do not sin. In other words, don't go about as an angry person. Don't go about as it being your own anger, your own indignation. And this is the difference. Turn with me to Psalm 139. There's one passage that can illustrate this better than all others in the Bible, I believe, and it's Psalm 139 as David comes to the close of this beautiful ballad about how fearfully and wonderfully made we are as human beings. Psalms 139, and I'll get you the verse when I get there. It begins in verse 19, but I want to go back and get some of this so you know which, as you're turning there. This is the psalm where David says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. That's verses 13 and 14. What David was saying from the beginning of the psalm up until verse 18 is that the Lord knows who he is. The Lord knows where he is. The Lord knows what he's done, and the Lord knows everything about him. David said, there's no place I can go to get away from you. If I go to the deepest parts of the ocean, you're there. If I go to the darkest nights, Father, the, the darkest nights are like light to you. If I go into the highest of heavens, even you're there. David says, I can't get away from you and the, and the knowledge of who you are. Even my creation, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I use this psalm a lot when I preach on the street about babies because it tells of the purpose and the plan of God and his sovereignty to know every human thought and every human desire. But oddly, David ends this psalm like this. It's a ballad to God about how sovereign he is. And then he ends it beginning in verse 19. You see David's words? Square this in your heart as a Christian this morning. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. That's not very winsome, is it? All of evangelicalism wants us to be winsome. Go into a group of people sometime and Tell them you're a Christian and say, oh, I wish God would slay the wicked. I know, right? <laughs> David's words, not mine, beloved, but it'll help you understand this in your heart. David says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. And you know David, all through the Psalms, if you don't know the Psalms, you would think David has ADHD. One minute he's praising God, next minute he's worried about these enemies. Why? Because David truly understand the spiritual battle that's taking place. God was always saying him. He understood that there was something called evil, and evil was continually and positively against that which is good. And he put this together, and he said, oh, if I fear the Lord, I'm supposed to hate evil. Okay? Oh, men of blood, depart from me. Verse 20, they speak against you with malicious intent. Oh, do you see that? Underline that in your Bible. I'm going to come back to that. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Are Christians supposed to hate? Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Verse 21, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And then he says this. He says to the God who knows everything about 
David's thoughts. He knows where he's at, why he's there, when he's there. In fact, he knows that he put him there, even in his mother's womb. David ends this psalm with this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. He had just said, I hate these guys. I hate your enemies with a perfect hatred. And then he says to God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. What's the difference? The difference is this. The difference between sinning while we're angry and not sinning when we're angry is just this. It's not our anger. It's not our indignation. These are the thing that God hates, and we're supposed to hate the thing that God hates. These weren't David's enemies because they had done something awful to David. They were David's enemies because they were God's enemies first. So you can be angry and do not sin as long as your anger is built on the things that make God angry, the things that make God angry. And I, um, you know, the, the Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. I could go for the next, uh, literally, for a long time. I hate Facebook and Twitter because you know what it does? It lets a lot of Christians vent this natural desire we have for being angry against sin out into the social media world, and we don't go out into the real world and do it. Video games are like that for kids. Young men are probably the most taken by these because young men have this great desire to go out and build and do and conquer. But if they can do that on a video game, that satisfies our brains. The research on this is abundant. So they do it on a video game so they don't go out in the real world and do it. And I'm afraid that happens to us Christians. We get mad on social media. We get mad on Facebook. We post a meme that says abortion is wrong and we feel like we've done something, but abortion doesn't stop. It breaks my heart. Evil is taught in our schools. It breaks my heart. Be angry and do not sin. And then he says, as we continue on there, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. We can take that literally. God's saying don't continually be angry. Listen, that's not the life, is it? As Christians, we live a life of joy. We live a life of hope. So this anger is not to run continuously from us. That is sinful anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And this, to bring this home a little bit, the way that we give opportunity to the devil in our anger is because these two words are not translated properly, even in the ESV. Because when he repeats the word anger here, let me read it for you. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. That is the Greek word orge, and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And the King James is the only one that gets that right. And it's explained by what I just gave you from that Psalm 139 in David. Be angry at what God's angry, but don't let the sun go down on your anger because it becomes sin when it's your wrath and not God's wrath. Do you see that? I want to make that plain and simple. That's the difference. You can be angry against everything that God's angry at, but don't let it become your wrath because that's your vengeance and your anger and not God's righteous holy anger. That's why David could say, search my heart and know me. You see the difference? 
You see why this is a positive command? And give no opportunity to the devil. Because, beloved, a lot of people are angry to the point where they don't want to forgive the sinner. Because anger turns to what? Hate. We can be angry at the sin and not hate the sinner. It's antithetical to the gospel to make it about your wrath. Because what is the gospel, beloved? The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's best seen for this part that I want to bring out just Give me just a few more minutes. In the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who who trespass against us. Right there is the part where your anger needs to stop and your love needs to flame because God forgave you when he should have been angry at you and you need to forgive others. Then they deserve anger. Do you see If we let it continue, the devil will have room to take away the beautiful work of the gospel. So we've got to be very careful with this call to anger. We've got to be righteously indignant, and we should be positively standing on the street corner. We should be going to the city council meeting. We should be going to the board meeting at the schools. We should be speaking up in public as the church against things that God hates, but we should never ever hate the sinner because we were the sinner. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that we could have forgiveness. You see that? That that knife, brother, is sharp on both sides, isn't it? You think being a Christian who stands is easy? You're wrong. Because when you go out on that street corner and you stand or you stand in that meeting or you stand at your office at work and say, I'm not going to do this because this is wrong, this is evil, you better know in your heart what you're doing that day because it can fall over into sin just like that. That's not the gospel. Paul says, beloved, we praise the word of the Lord, right? Praise the word of the Lord. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Amen? Amen. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to a close today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the patience of your people. This, this message was so much in my heart. I want us as the church to understand your wishes against sin, but I also want us to understand your heart to save the sinner. Father, help us in that. It's difficult. It's difficult. We want to stand for you, but we want to do so and speak that truth in the same love with which it was spoken to us in the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you on his behalf today. Go with us, Father, and guide us and bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if the men were going to help this morning, come forward, please.